And welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political, coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. In addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcaster.ca, and the podcasts are also on iTunes. And every Thursday, a smallish crew of pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, Aylmer and Hunter in Peterborough, to talk about uh, all things political at 5 p.m. All are welcome. Please join us. We also post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Joining me today is Jenny Lasico, who's running for seat in Town Ward. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, Bill. Thank you very much. Jenny, the first question I ask all candidates, and it's one that is very much alive for me still as I look out in this uh, this summer day we've got here. Why are you doing this? It's so much work. It's a tremendous amount of work. But, you know, for the past 25 years, Peterborough has been really good to my family and I. It's been really generous to us through both my husband's family business and my small business. I'm in a good place both personally and professionally to de- devote the time and attention that I think that this position deserves. Peterborough's a great city. We don't need to reinvent the wheel, but we do need to gather some momentum to propel us forward. And I'm excited at that prospect. And as cheesy as it might sound, I do feel like I can make a difference. Now, you've started going door to door. What are you hearing? What are people, what are their hot button issues? So the recurring theme that I'm hearing from the voters in town ward is the feeling that they're just not being heard. They're feeling that their issues don't rate or their concerns don't matter or that their opinions don't aren't worthy of airtime. They're frustrated with their lack of access to City Hall. I've heard that over and over again as we've started to work our way through the ward. Transportation, of course, is a huge point of discussion. Cut through traffic, street parking. Bike lanes, bike lanes, bike lanes, road conditions, the transit system, and of course, the parkway. We've done a lot of talking about social services and ensuring that we're adequately supporting our most vulnerable residents in the city and the town ward itself. We've talked about harm reduction, the Brock Mission, affordable housing. And then we've just had some really good conversation about how the city prioritizes its spending. In terms of your background, what do you bring to this campaign? Tell us a bit about yourself, what you've done in the past, and how that relates to why you're running. Sure. So from a professional perspective, I started my work career working in administrative management for the federal government. I did that for 10 years, so I understand what it's like to work within the parameters of unions and policy and process and legislation. I left the federal government for an opportunity to run a successful small business, which we ran for 10 years in East City with my business partner. So I understand the hustle of a small business. I know what it takes to keep the wheels going round to operate a small business. There's lots of sacrifices that get made in order to keep your door open. Now that I work in project and property management for a construction company, I've had quite a bit of experience with the development process and see have seen what it takes to get a large-scale development off the ground going through that process with City Hall. It requires a tremendous amount of patience and tenacity and I just I'm confident that we can find a balance between quality and cost of housing. It's not an impossibility. Aside from my professional experience, I have a down-to-business approach to getting tasks done. I think at some point you just have to take an educated risk and just forge ahead with the business of running the city. Most people that know me well will attest to the fact that there's no guesswork with me. I am pretty honest and forthright. I would rather people walk away from me saying, I don't agree with her 
than walk away from me saying, I don't have a clue what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, one of the most important personality traits that I think I have is that I listen to my moral compass. I'm not easily swayed or bullied by special interest. At the end of the day, I have to answer to myself, and I think I have a pretty strong resolve. Okay. Now, are you from Peterborough, or did you move here? Uh, of true confessions, I've only been here 18 years, and I understand you have to be here a lot longer before you can call yourself a Peterborian. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've hit that threshold yet, but I've been in Peterborough for 25 years. I'm from Kingston originally. I came to Peterborough. I met a boy. And here I am, 25 years later. My husband was raised in Peterborough, and our daughter was born and raised in Peterborough and went to St. Pete's. Now, and you ran a business in the uh, in East City, is that right? I did. My business partner, Kelly, and I, who I actually still get to work with every day, we ran a business on Hunter Street in East City called Girly Girls, which was a skincare center. So we ran that for 10 years. We kind of set our business benchmarks for ourselves. And when we achieved all of those goals, we had an opportunity to move on to something else, which allowed us to continue to work together, but meant that we didn't have to work nights and weekends. And we were getting a little bit older and our bodies were starting to tell us it was time to make the move. So we took the opportunity. Sure. Sure. Now, this, of course, segues to uh, what is a huge need in this community, uh, growing families. What will our children do for employment here? In other words, what can we do to make Peterborough more of a community that holds on to its young people instead of them having to leave for work? You know, unfortunately, in a lot of instances, money is a driver for people. It costs a lot of money to raise a family. It costs a lot of money to have a reasonable lifestyle. And we need to try to secure jobs here that can pay people the money that they think that they're worth. When you're paying for your child to go to university and you're seeing that debt rack up as they go through the process, it would be nice that they could secure a job that would help them pay down that debt when they get out of school. So what is what can the city do, uh, I guess the city, all levels of government together with the business community to create more opportunity in Peterborough? What's the, is there a set of golden keys? Peterborough used to be, you know, years ago before you, before you and I arrived, it used to be this manufacturing hub, GE, Evinrude, etc. Now manufacturing, those jobs have all gone, they're not coming back as Bruce Springsteen tells us. So what is the future? What, where should we be looking? You know, I wish I had the magic keys or the golden keys that would answer that question. It would be great if we could attract some more industry to Peterborough. That was kind of the back that the city was built on was those industrial jobs. And there are high paying jobs in that sector, for sure. Those types of organizations can employ a large number of people at the same time. It's tough when you have people coming to the city and opening businesses, which is great, and I totally appreciate it, but it's a long road to hoe when you're only hiring four or five people at a time. If we could attract some sort of industry that would hire a large sum of people, that would be great. I know it's definitely a hot button with a lot of people, but for instance, whether or not you agree with the casino, the bottom line is, is that it did create a large number of jobs at one time. Now, in terms of the issue you spoke of initially, what you're hearing at the doors, you said something about people feel they're not being heard and not listened to. And I'm wondering what the city can do to improve its game in terms of civic engagement. In other words, to bridge that gap so that it's not just once every four years we vote and then go away, don't bother us, let us make decisions. How can the city improve on that? I think that the kind of underlying tone that I'm hearing is people get offended 
when City Hall or Council asks for the public's opinion or input, and then the optics are or the senses that they've gone ahead and done the exact opposite. And I'm not sure if it's because sale of the PDI is still so fresh in people's minds, but they're feeling like we told the city that we didn't want to do that, and the city went ahead and sold it anyway. Why even ask us? So I think what would be important is if you're going to engage people in conversation and ask people to give their time to have that dialogue with you, it would be important to show that you're appreciative of what it is that they have to say. And I'm not saying that the PDI should or shouldn't have been sold, but certainly the sense that people are feeling is that the people of Peterborough weren't listened to and why even bother asking us? Now, what changes have the city made recently, do you sense, moving in the right direction? I mean, is there any good news in terms of momentum are they doing some things? Because, you know, I certainly share that perception you're hearing at the door. You know, it's hard to say. I'm not sitting at the city council table or hearing what that conversation is is like amongst councillors. I know that there are many councillors that are having their community meetings and they're trying to engage their ward in that way. But that being said, when they're having a community meeting and they're only getting 10 people coming out to it, it kind of has to work both ways, you know, like... You don't just show up and give your opinion when something doesn't go in your favor. I think it would also be nice if some positive feedback was given to City Hall as well. Yeah, huge issue. Now, both of us, of course, have been to council meetings and and you look at that large table, uh, the U-shaped table, 11 people. There are only two women at that table. (laughs) Yet, uh, a few programs ago, we had Sylvia Sutherland on as a a guest panelist, and she was saying that uh, although she had at one point four women sitting on one of her councils, this time, this is the largest number of women ever running for council. And that's great. But how can we improve the, the uh, how shall I say, the, the, the balance on council? I've never really been one to play my gender card. I work in a male-dominated industry, so the fact that I'm a woman doesn't ever, has never worked against me or for me. Myself, personally, I want the best person for the job, to, to get the job. I don't think it matters what somebody's gender is. I think it's amazing that there are more women in the pool this time around for the municipal election. I think that's great. But like I said, uh, there's no reason why a woman can't do it. There's there's nothing saying a woman can't run. They just have to, you know, get put their name forward and go out there and do it. Yeah. Now, same question or similar question from a different angle. Uh, Certainly the times I've been to council meetings, presented to council, I noticed that there are a lot of people over 60 well, over over 55 or 60 on council and not that many young people. And, you know, I, I, I take your point about, you know, the age, maybe gender does not matter. It's the quality of the people. But how can we get more young people voting and, and involved in city council? As far as getting involved on city council, I think you and I were kind of speaking about this a bit earlier on. I wonder if it isn't just a time thing. Running in a municipal election is incredibly time consuming. And then, of course, there's the time commitment that goes into sitting on council. If people have small families or if they're a single parent or they're working a couple of jobs, there's only so many hours in the week. So it's maybe not until you've reached that 60 years when maybe you've retired and you've been able to enjoy a bit more free time. You know, as far as young people going or voting, voter apathy amongst young people, I believe, is a stereotype. If we're getting less than 50% voter turnout at the polls, that's an everyone issue, not just a young person issue. My daughter is 
going to almost be 19 years old. She knows that voting is a privilege. All of her friends that I've managed to kind of, you know, buttonhole when they've come to visit, they all vote. They all know how important it is to vote. I'm not worried about the young people getting out to vote. I'm just hoping that some of their enthusiasm rubs off on the rest of the population. For sure. For your own campaign, what are the one, two, three main themes you want to drive home so that, if you will, they'll be associated with your your brand as a politician? Do you mean in the sense of what I would like to see happen in my ward or who I am as a person? Uh, Well, you can take it either way. Uh, In other words, what do you want to be known for in this campaign? It could be an issue. Uh, It could be a value. I think for sure the value that I would like to be known for is just the whole premise that I am a down-to-business person. I, I always, you know, I work really well in a team, give me a task and I get it done. I like to feel like I've accomplished something. I like to make a list. I like to check things off of it. I like to feel that I can complete a task. And that's something I want people to know about me is that if I'm given a task to do, I can, you know, you don't have to worry that I'm going to complete it or not complete it. As far as my vision for the downtown or one of the projects that are that I would love to see more attention focused on in the downtown core is the property standards that go along the two main streets downtown. I believe that you have to dress for the job that you want. And if we want to be a prosperous and thriving downtown, then we need to be dressed like we're ready to receive company. And right now that's not necessarily happening in the downtown core. The buildings that are down there have to send the message that we have pride of ownership and that we're open for business. Boarded up storefronts and graffiti and subpar retail rental space should be unacceptable in our downtown core. I have lots of good friends that are merchants and landlords down there and they're working really hard to build a business community and it feels like their neighbor who has no pride of ownership is working against them. I think what we need to look at is giving landlords breaks on their building permits to improve their properties as opposed to giving them breaks on their property taxes for allowing their properties to sit vacant. You, you know, what you what you said was so interesting because as you were describing that, you know, dress as if we're open for business. As a city, I can't help but think of driving into town along Charlotte and we hit the bumpity bump pavement <laughs> and you swear you're coming into a logging town mm-hmm. 100 years ago in Northern Ontario. And it, what message is that? Saying? I mean, just, just our pavement. And exactly. once people park and begin to walk around, our sidewalks. Exactly. You know, you're driving down Charlotte Street, like you said, bumpity bumpity bump. You're driving past the Lewis Street lot, which is all torn up and surrounded by a fence. We've got sidewalks that aren't in great, sh- great shape, people with mobility issues. It's difficult for them to get around. And then you hit George Street and, you know, half of the buildings are sitting vacant or they're papered up. And we have such beautiful architecture downtown and buildings that deserve to be treated with respect. And they're being allowed to just fall into the ground. I can appreciate working in construction that renovating a building is costly. <laughs> But like I said, right now, landlords, building owners are being given a break on their property taxes if their properties sit vacant. So there's no incentive for them to improve those properties. And it breaks my heart for the people that work really hard to put the money into their business and put the sweat equity into their buildings. And then next door, they have something that's looking dumpy. So what uh, could the city do to change that? I think it's time to start putting some pressure on the building owners. This is our downtown core. This is where we want people to come. This is supposed to be the heart of our city. 
This is where small business owners can make a living and support their family. It's a representation of themselves and their hard work. And it should be a representation of us as a city. All this time, no big box stores downtown, no big box stores downtown. And we've worked really hard to ensure that it is small boutique style shopping. But when you have a building, for instance, the one that's between the CIBC and Flavor that was the Shoppers Drug Mart on George Street that takes up half a block and it's boarded up or got yes. brown paper over the windows and it's sat like that for years and years and years and years. And I know many different developers and many different business owners that have tried to buy that property and have been met with resistance. I'm sorry, that guy either needs to sell his building or get tidying it up because it's not fair to everybody else that's trying to make the downtown look nice. You feel like you're swimming up stream all the time. Oh, fair, fair enough. Now, before we started, we were, we were chatting off mic about um, the experience of going door to door <laughs> and how that's uh, particularly a hot summer is a lot of work. I certainly appreciate that. But we also talked about how elections are changing and how the door to door will always be part of it, or at least seems to be part of it now, an essential part. That's how you meet people. But what about social media? What role will that play in your campaign? More than ever, I think that social media is taking over as one of the most effective methods to get your name out there and to give your platform some airtime. When we were going door to door canvassing and dropping our postcards in 40 degree heat, of course, you know, your brain starts to, to run away on you. And I, I kept thinking to myself, there has to be a better way to do this. I know that the old adage is that elections are won at the door. And I believe that there is merit in doing that. I want to meet as many people as I can. But the bottom line is, is that I work 40 hours a week. My campaign team works 40 hours a week. There's absolutely no way that I'm going to be able to get door to door to meet every single person in my ward. So I need to be reliant on things like social media. It's um, a medium that I'm comfortable with. I use it all the time. It's very natural for me to use it as a means of communication. I think more and more people are using it. In the buildings that I man manage, all of our tenants are seniors. They're over 65. I am amazed at how many of them are dialed into social media and are like they're texters and you know, they're on my Facebook page. And I think that that's, that's fabulous, you know? So I have to ask myself when people say elections are won at the door, is the new door people's laptops, people's iPads, people's smartphones? Yeah, those are uh, really relevant issues. I wonder about, and I almost apologize for asking this question, but I ask it to each candidate because it's so tough. How do you handle the issue of complaints about taxes? You know, I pay taxes too. I pay business taxes. I pay property taxes. Personally, I feel like I get good return on my investment from the city of Peterborough. There wasn't a day that my snow wasn't plowed. The grass is cut in front of my house. I, I've only ever called City Hall one time in the whole time I've lived in Peterborough and it was because the street light in front of my bedroom window was flickering and I thought I was going to have a stroke. <laughs> and I called them and literally the next day the fellows were here from the PUC with the boom track changing the light bulb. So I think that our, prop, our taxes are on par with other communities, you know, and it's, it's give and take. It's kind of like you don't really like to pay your income tax, but everyone likes to get the so-called quote unquote free health care. Everybody likes to have their streets plowed. I like the fact that I put my trash and my recycle out and the nice gentlemen come and pick it up once a week. I appreciate that service. So, you know, I guess the question is, what are you willing to give up? If you don't want to pay that rate of property taxes, what is it that we're willing to give up? 
Now, another dynamic that seems to be playing out has got to do with urban planning and specifically the, the future of Peterborough and, of course, the official plan review that's underway now. What do you think the city's relationship to the official plan review should be and what should the city be doing to involve citizens in this huge enterprise? I was at the charrette at Peterborough Square for the official plan. It was great and it was a great kind of jumping off point. Unfortunately for myself personally, it was very abstract thinking. The mindset you kind of had to get into was pretend like there's nothing here and then rebuild the city how you would like to see it. Because I work in construction and in development, my brain just doesn't work that way. We're not just going to bulldoze every building that's there and start from scratch. I think the city needs to start thinking a little bit differently about how we're going to house people and where we're going to house it. Peterborough has never really built up. We don't have a lot of vertical development. As far as cities go, we don't have a lot of high rises in the city. I think our highest ones are maybe city center downtown. There's Hedonics and a couple other ones on Park Hill Road, but there's only so much much land to go around. We can only put three and 400 house subdivisions in so many spots within the city. We're going to have to start building up. And I think the city's going to have to really start thinking about that or building multi-use buildings. So whether it's work-live combinations or whether it's commercial space and office space and then residential above it, I just think we're, the city needs to kind of start thinking about doing their development business a different way. And or else we're going to run out of room for places to live. We already don't have enough spots to house the residents of Peterborough. Now, the, the Ontario government, of course, wants us to, well, not just us, but all municipalities in, in the province wants Peterborough and other cities to intensify, as you're describing, and to not keep expanding into the suburbs because, of course, it chews up valuable farmland, but also those suburbs don't have a sufficient tax pace that once once the suburb is built and people are living there in 30 or 40 years when stuff begins to be replaced, they don't have the tax base to do it and it becomes tall. So how do you think that dynamic should be managed as we go forward? Should we keep expanding, building more suburbs or how sh- how can we get out of that trap? I think the issue, of course, is like I mentioned before, there's only so much land to go around that's in the city of Peterborough proper. We're going to eventually run out of green space to build houses on. And I think you're absolutely right. Come 30 or 40 years down the road and those subdivisions are no longer generating the same development fees and tax bases that they originally were, then what do you do? We ne- we're never going to get ahead if we don't start building up vertically. I, I would have to agree with the provincial government's assessment that that's kind of how we need to start looking at living is with higher densification in our cities. Yes, at the design show, the dynamic was described that, you know, there's all these uh, seniors from Toronto retiring, moving to Peterborough, selling their houses that are now worth a small fortune, <laughs> buying a house in Peterborough, buying a cottage, lucky buying them. a boat. Yeah, lucky them. But what happens when they lose their licenses? Well, you know, it's interesting because this is another factor in the housing issue that we're having in Peterborough that I'm not sure a lot of people have given a lot of thought to. And I don't know if it's because I work with seniors at the stage in their life when they're downsizing out of their homes. But one of the issues that we have in Peterborough, and it is a type of housing, is that we have a three to five year wait for long-term care facilities here in town. So what's happening is people are staying in their homes much longer than they are really capable of staying in their homes. They really need to be someplace where they can get more support than what they're getting. But it's a three to five year wait in order for them to get into anywhere to get the help that they need and the care that they need. So instead of those houses that they're living in getting flipped back into the real estate market, 
they're staying in them longer and longer. So we no longer have that kind of domino effect of housing. You know, you, you live in, a, in, a, in an apartment and then you buy a starter home and then you buy your family home and you stay there for 25 years and then you buy, you know, your retirement home, that kind of downsize home, and then you move back into an apartment. That cycle isn't happening. Yeah, I, I've heard in uh, Toronto, there's, uh, in the greater Toronto area, there are 5 million vacant rooms, precisely because of the dynamic you're describing. People are staying in their homes. They would love to downsize. They can't because there's nothing available. It's, you know, it's crazy to us working in property management. The apartments that we manage are designed specifically for seniors. The first building we built, we weren't sure who our client was going to be, how quickly we were going to be able to fill it. It very quickly filled to occupancy. And then we started getting people saying, when are you building your next building? When are you building your next building? Of course, we had to go through the process of finding land for it, which we did up in the west end of the city. We had that building filled before we even had our final approval to build it. We have probably a four to five year waiting list for seniors looking to downsize into apartments. We could probably build six more buildings and have them all filled. That's not a possibility, but there is definitely a shortage of housing. I know that people talk a lot about affordable housing and geared to income housing, but the other end of that spectrum is there is a huge shortage of retirement housing. It's just not available. People have worked really hard their whole life and they want to move someplace nice. They don't want to live someplace that's not up to what their standards, so to speak, are. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for setting aside the time to do this. Well, thank you for having me. And best of luck in your campaign. Well, thank you very much, Bill.